We're in a series called Stretch, and the whole idea behind this series is that um, as we consider um, the last day of this year and we consider where we are today, how are we going to stretch ourselves so that we can be different people? Uh, different people spiritually, uh, different people, the people that God created us to be. How can we move farther along in our journey with Jesus over the course of the year? And so the big three are, of course, money, marriage and munchkins. I found that other M, right? Um, so that's what we're going we're to do. We're doing it over nine weeks. And today is the third um, the third Sunday and the last one that we're going to talk about money and finances and trying to manage them God's way. And again, the whole idea is when it comes to the end of the year and this year, how can I set spiritual goals when it comes to things like money so that at the end of the year, I'm managing it more closely the way God would have me to manage uh, the things that he has blessed, it, blessed me with more so than I am doing now. And uh, as we talk about this last uh, session, this last one about money, um, it's going to be about giving um, I, we can't, we, you can't go through the Bible and not talk about giving at some point because it's all throughout scripture. And so we want to tackle that this morning. And as we tackle it, as we venture through the Bible and, and trying to figure out uh, what the Bible says about giving, this word's going to come up and it's going to be the word tithe, right? I think most of you have heard that word before tithe. It's just a fancy word of saying a tenth, 10%, $100, $10 out of a hundred is a tenth, right? Um, any math people out there, you got it, right? It's going to be a tithe and tithing. And I was looking at some interesting things online in preparation. And what I found was that um, there's a website called uh, VancoPayments.com. It's an e-giving site. They collected some different research that had been done. And they found these uh, couple of statistics, which I thought were interesting, uh, because tithing is kind of the gold standard for Christians. It's like, I want to be a tither. Right? That's what we talk about when it comes to giving, your tithes and your offerings. And that's what Christians talk about. How, how do I become a tither? Or how do I be a tither? Um, but what's interesting is that they found that only 5% of churchgoers actually tithe. Only 5% actually tithe. Um, they went on to say and found this as well, that if every Christian did tithe, uh, 10%, which is redundant, right? Because tithe and 10% is the same thing. Faith organizations would have an extra $139 billion um, uh, to be able to use for ministry purposes. Uh, so it's kind of interesting statistics that we talk about tithing, we talk about giving, but only 5% of churchgoers actually do. And if everybody did, um, we would have uh, more than enough to be able to do the works of ministry uh, that are before us. And so I want to take a look at this whole idea of giving, what the Bible says about it, and then I'm going to answer some questions that maybe you have, maybe you don't have, but I'm just going to guess that you do have. Okay, so I've already written the questions out and tackle those uh, on the second half. All right, so I want to take a look at Genesis chapter 4. Because Genesis chapter 4, the verse, first 16 verses, I think there's a really interesting lessons about giving that I want us to understand and tackle, and one in particular that I think is huge when we look at Genesis chapter 4. Now, the context of Genesis chapter 4 is that in Genesis 1, God did what? Created the heavens and the earth, right? Created everything, including man, uh, male and female. He created them. Um, in Genesis chapter 2, the two were married. He, uh, Adam got to name all the animals. So it was a, a recap of some of Genesis 1 and how man was created. And then Genesis 3, what happened? The fall, right? Sin came into the world. Uh, Satan was tempted Eve and said, hey, here's this fruit. And did God say he couldn't eat it? And she saw that it was looked delicious, good to good for nourishment. And she saw it was good to make one wise. In other words, she wanted to be God. 
And so she, so she took the fruit, she ate it, and she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was there with her. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the curse. Because you've done this, um, they were hiding, and God came walking in the cool of the day, and they're like, we're hiding because we saw that we were naked. And he said, what have you done? And then he put a curse on male, he put a curse on female, he put a curse on Satan as well. And then we come to Genesis chapter 4. After all that was done, they were kicked out of the garden. There were swordsmen put, um, so to speak, in front of the garden so they couldn't get back in to eat from the tree of life. They had to have consequences for this sin. And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, this is a really big verse, and probably more so than we might think when we're just kind of passing it through as we're doing our Bible reading. Eve, Adam and Eve knew that they had sinned. God sacrificed an animal to cover their sin, cover their nakedness. So the first sacrifice was made at that point. And they were wondering, what's our relationship with God going to be like from here? And what did God do? He basically said, Eve, I forgive you. And so he blessed them with a child. And that's how Eve saw it, that she'd been redeemed, that something happened in their relationship with God where Adam knew his wife and she was able to have a child. And she said, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And the first thing that I want us to see in Genesis chapter four, verse 16 verses is this. God blesses us with life. He blesses us with life. I know that seems like a no brainer, but. Have you ever thought about the fact that God could have never done what he did with the whole world and the universe? He could have just decided, you know what? It really sounds like a headache. He can see the future. He knows what's going to happen. He knows every one of our sins before they take place. He could have said, I'm not doing that, right? Why put myself through that kind of thing and not even just breathe anything into existence? But he did. He did. He gives us life. And on top of that, he gives us eternal life. Or the opportunity for it, right? By sending Jesus to die on the cross for us. God has blessed us with life. And if there's no other reason that you should praise God, it's every morning you wake up being able to say, thank you for just giving me the joy of living in this world that you created. And that you thought to create me. Psalm 139, 13 and 14. We know these verses, right? For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. He knew you before you even came into this world. Before you were a twinkle in your mother and father's eye, there you were. That God created you. God blesses us with life. The next few verses. uh, And again, Eve uh, bore his brother Abel. So there were Cain and Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. We all like Abel because meat comes from sheep. Cain is not our favorite because he just brought us vegetables. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. Two things that I want us to see in those few verses. Number one, and we beat this one up last week a little bit. God created us to work. He created us to work. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. We were created to work. 
We see it right there in Genesis chapter four. Not only did Adam and Eve or Adam work the garden and all that was going on there, but they had sons. And what did their sons do? They worked. Their sons worked. And I think it's something that we were created to do. And I think that's big in those verses that we were created to work. The other thing that we were created to do is give. God created us to give. There's an instruction that we don't see up until this point in the book of Genesis. You know what it is? And I instruct you to give. We don't see that anywhere. So why would Cain and Abel bring any kind of offering to God? Why would they do that? It's because that's what they were created to do. They realized that God gave them life. And they realized that he not only gave them life, but he gave life to the things that they were growing and the things that they were raising. And they wanted to praise and thank God for it. So they brought an offering to God. No, it doesn't say where they brought it or what they did. I'm guessing because of what happens later in the Bible that they probably built some kind of altar or tabernacle uh, or an altar that they would come and put the animal. We, we know that one, right? And it was probably burned up or maybe God consumed it like he did in other parts of, of the Bible. I don't know what with the vegetables. I understand why God rejected the vegetables just out of principle. Um, but the prince, I don't know if he set those on fire on the altar. I, I, it doesn't say where they took him. It just says that they offered them to the Lord. And not only were we created to created to work and created to give, but what we also see in those verses, and this is kind of a sobering thought, is that God differentiates between acceptable offerings and unacceptable offerings. He differentiates between acceptable offerings and unacceptable offerings. It wasn't that Cain didn't bring anything. It, didn't, it wasn't that he said, hey, Cain, your brother brought me this nice thing here. Are you going to give me anything? It's that they both brought something and one was acceptable and one was not. That's a little convicting to me. I don't know how that sits on your heart. But that makes me pause when I'm getting ready to give to say, is this an acceptable offering to God? Or is this something that he's going to look at me and say, really? And so God differentiates between acceptable and unacceptable. Now, there's a couple of reasons. We don't know uh, for sure why Abel's were accepted and Cain's was not. Uh, We speculate, people have speculated because of different verbiage in the Bible. Um, But I would say it's, uh, and some people have said because there's blood in animals, um, that the Bible talks about uh, blood being life and that that sacrifice was more acceptable to God. Uh, But that's just speculation. I think it's probably more so this, that uh, it probably was the best that Abel had or probably the first that Abel had. In Leviticus 22, verse 20, when God was giving this, all these laws to Moses to give to the Israelites, he said, you shall not offer anything that has a blemish, for it will not be acceptable for you. And I wonder if Abel's offering was a very good, perfect lamb that he was offering as a sacrifice. And that maybe Cain's offering, maybe he instead went first to his family and said, okay, I've got to store some up to be able to plant more. And I've got to make sure my family's taken care of and mom and dad are taken care of. And so then I'm going to give whatever, God's, whatever I have left over, I'll give that to God. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe Abel took the first of his fruits. In Proverbs 3.9 it says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was the the first lamb that came out that Abel said, I'm trusting God that I'm going to have more. So I'm going to take this first one and I'm going to offer it to him. And again, maybe Cain decided he would give God what was left over. So we don't exactly know 
what it was that was acceptable about Abel's that wasn't with Cain's. But we do know that there's a differentiation. And when we look at what's acceptable and what's not acceptable, what we can gather by those Old Testament, um, well, those Old Testament scriptures are that one, it should be the first fruits that we have. So the first thing that come out, trusting that God will take care of us and provide more, but also our very best. Something that means something to us, that there's some kind of sacrifice involved when it comes to making that offering. The next few verses, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, sounds familiar from Genesis 3, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God knows the heart of the giver and instructs accordingly. He knows the heart of the giver. He knew what Cain was dealing with. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, Cain, I don't accept your offering. I'm never going to accept your offering. It's an unforgivable sin. Get out of my sight. He didn't say that to him. He went to him and said, why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? In other words, Cain, that wasn't your best. I want your best. And if you give me your best, everything's going to be fine. But you didn't give me your best. And so that's why it wasn't accepted. That's all that needs to be said, Cain. You can repent of this. You can have a do-over. We can start over with this thing. But in, and he goes on to instruct him. Cain, I know your heart. And you're wrestling with sin and the temptation for revenge and your pride, and your jealousy, and anger, they're all getting the best of you. You must rule over it. You must rule over it. That's what sin is all about, isn't it? We have temptation. God says we'll never, we'll never be tempted beyond what we can handle. But we still, when we're faced with temptation, we must rule over it. And that's the same instruction he gives to Cain. He knew his heart. I don't know where the revenge thing came to kill his brother. I don't know if I, don't, I can't imagine being so upset that my brother's offering was accepted and mine was not that I would want to kill my brother. I don't know what that would solve in the whole situation. But he was dealing with that and God knew his heart and he instructed him. He said, Cain, here's what happened. Here's what we can do about it. But you need to master this sin that's in your heart. And of course, Cain chose not to do that. Mark chapter 10, verse 21, the rich young ruler. I know we've talked about this scripture a hundred times over the past year. But uh, Jesus looked at the rich young ruler after the rich young ruler said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus talks through half of the commandments and he's like, I've followed all those. And Jesus said, uh, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. God knows the heart and he knows what you're wrestling with, just like he knew what the rich young ruler was wrestling with. Just like, like he knew what Cain was wrestling with. And he gave instruction. You need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Why? Because that is your God right now. And you need to let go of that God. That's what his instruction was. But the man walked away upset. Why? He had a whole bunch of money. He didn't want to part with all that he had. He made that decision. Just like Cain made his decision that, nope, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm not going to do what you're instructing me, God. I'm going to go take matters into my own hands. The last few verses of Genesis 4 that I want to share with you go this way. 
When you work the ground, this is God talking to Cain, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. So he's putting a curse on him for what he did, the consequences of his sin. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. God disciplines, and yes, even sometimes he disciplines the giver. Sometimes he disciplines the giver. In his relationship with Cain, in working through what Cain had done, there were consequences for his sin. Even though Cain did bring an offering, it wasn't accepted by God, but he brought him something. There was still discipline because Cain decided not to master the sin or rule over the sin that was in his life. And so God said, here's what's going to happen. And if you remember in Genesis 3, part of the curse on man was what? The ground's going to fight back. Now you're going to work the ground and there will be weeds and thistles and all kinds of stuff to deal with now. And now it's almost like a double curse put on Cain, because while that curse is in effect, he said, what? The ground's no longer going to produce for you. It's going to be even harder. And what's it going to be harder to do? It's going to be harder for you to work, which means it's going to be harder for you to give. The two things that we see in Genesis 4 that we were created to do, they're going to be made more difficult for Cain. Why? Because he wasn't obedient. He didn't trust God. And he didn't give of his best. I don't know if this is a great analogy, but this is the illustration that came to mind. In Acts chapter 9, Paul was converted. He was a Pharisee. He was tearing down the church. He had this moment with Jesus, and Jesus said, you're persecuting me. And he sent him to Damascus, and he was supposed to meet with this guy named Ananias. And Ananias was wrestling with God, saying, with Jesus, saying, that's a bad idea. Uh, this guy's been hurting people and killing him, throwing him in prison. But the Lord said to Ananias this, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. I feel like the consequences of what Paul lived in his life prior to knowing Jesus, that the consequences were that he was going to have to suffer for the name of Jesus. He did so willingly. He did so joyfully. He was so glad to be redeemed and so glad to have now a future that was bright being in heaven. But there was still a consequence that Paul was going to have to pay. He was beaten several times. He was shipwrecked and all this kind of stuff that took place in his life. Even though he was a sold out believer, Jesus said, there's still a consequence for what you did. You're going to see how much you're going to have to suffer for my name. So in Genesis chapter four, verses one through 16. The things that stick out to me the most are one that we were created to give. We were created to be givers. And for us to deny wanting to give, wanting to share, wanting to love on others with our financial resources is just denying the fact that God said you were made to give. Like that's who you are. It's in your DNA because he knows us. He created us and he created us to have life. He created us to work and he created us to give. Now I want to answer some questions that may or may not be on your mind. Okay. And if you have other questions or you're not satisfied with my answers, I'll be up here after church. You can come and we can talk about those things or you can set up an appointment or something. But I want to work through some of these just to lay out on the table how Andy feels about giving. All right. And I'm going to talk to you as a fellow Christian 
not as your pastor, if you're able to separate the two right now. Okay, so here we go. The first one is this. How much should I give? How much should I give? Again, talking to you as a fellow Christian, I go to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. I was not always in located ministry. I was in the business world for 20 years. And so I, would, I dealt and wrestled with the same things, okay, not being in ministry. But I go to Malachi 3.10, and the uh, context of Malachi 3 is that God is letting the Israelites have it. They are not behaving the way that they're supposed to. And he's telling them why and how it's all happening. In Malachi chapter 3, he says, you're robbing me. And then he says, you're asking, how are we robbing you? And he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. The things that I see in Malachi chapter three, verse 10 are this. The Israelites, and I know it's Old Testament, I know it's Old Covenant, but what they were instructed to do was to bring a tenth of everything that they earned and bring it to the storehouse, which was the temple, so that the temple could be taken care of, and so that the Levites, the priests, who did not get an inheritance in the promised land, that they would be taken care of also. And when that tenth came in from everybody, they would use it to live on, they would use it to take care of the temple, they would use it for whatever needed to be done at that place, this, this storehouse. I personally, again, as a fellow Christian, I take Malachi 3.10, I put it on the 21st century, and I say, to me, the church is the storehouse. The church is the place where we come to worship, we take care of this building, the building isn't the church, the people are. We take care of the people that are working there so that we can do ministry, and we use all the resources we can to spread the gospel message, to disciple people, and help people journey with Jesus. And so when I look at Malachi 3.10, when I look at Abraham's story of how he gave a tenth of everything he had to Melchizedek uh, back in the book of Genesis, all those things, I look at that and say, you know what? God's instructions for his Israelites, his people, that he had a covenant promise with, was that he would give, they would give a tenth of everything they earned. And so why would Andy, as a Christian, in God's church that he blessed us with, not also say, I want to be a tither. I want to live up to that gold standard. The other thing that we see in this passage is that God says, test me. No other place in the Bible does he say, put me to the test. I dare you to tithe. <laughs> I dare you to do it. And he says, and then when you do, there's the promise for you. Not that we should give in order to get, but the promise that God gives is that I'm just going to open up the windows of heaven and just pour down so many blessings, you won't even know what to do with it. So why wouldn't I, as a Christian... Knowing that God gave me life, created me to work, created me to give, I'm part of a church, why would I not see that instruction as, I want to be a tither? I want to be someone who gives a tenth of everything that I earn to the storehouse so that ministry can be done and that the temple, if you will, the building can be taken care of so that the staff can be taken care of, so that the resources are there to do ministry with all the hundreds of kids we have running around on Wednesdays and Thursdays and Sunday mornings. Why wouldn't I want to be a part of that? Why would I not be, want to be a part of sending money across the seas to missions where the gospel can be spread in Africa and Thailand and all these different, or in the Philippines, all these different cool places? Why would I not want to be a part of that? But then there's that verse, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. And we have to mesh those two together. And I'm going to share. This is one of my favorite verses about giving. The point is this. This is Paul writing to a church in Corinth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must, uh, must give as he has decided in his heart, 
Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In other words, just because Andy's up here and you can't differentiate between me being a fellow Christian and a pastor, I'm not twisting your arm to, arm to be a tither. I'm just teaching scripture. It's got to be between you and God. Because he wants to be a cheerful, he wants us to be cheerful givers. When we go back to him differentiate, differentiating between um, gifts that are uh, accepted and those that are not, being cheerful about it is probably one of those things. And quite frankly, if you're not giving cheerfully, you probably just better leave it in your pocket because that's what God's want. He wants a cheerful giver. But then the scripture goes on to say this. And I love this. God is able to make all the grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. That's what can happen when believers come together and we give and we say, what does it look like to spread the gospel message everywhere? As we are cheerful givers, sowing generously and receiving generously, God does great work. All right. I took too long to answer question number one. Question number two, where do I give? I mentioned that already. That I feel like the storehouse uh, that's spoken about in the Old Testament is the church. Ezekiel 44.30 says, And the first of all the first fruits of all kinds, and every offering of all kinds from all your offerings, shall belong to the priests. You shall give to the priests the first of your dough. I think that's funny. It says the first of your dough, because we call it bread. Yeah. Um, that a blessing may rest on your house. Now, there are a lot of different places to give money to. I get it. I mean, there's every kind of, and we sponsor a child also, and there's your alma mater that's doing wonderful things, or you want to be part of the whatever quarterback club or whatever things. There's all kinds of places to give money to. But when, again, speaking as a fellow Christian, when I consider my finances, what the Bible says, I bring my first tenth to the storehouse, and then my wife and I say, is there any other places that we would like to give generously to? Is there any other place that we would like to give over and above to? And you have to be careful. There's some out there that have a lot of administrative costs built in that you have to be careful where you give. But in my opinion, as I look at Scripture, that's my giving between me and God is that I bring a tenth to the storehouse, to the church. Next question, do I have to give? No. (laughs) You don't have to do anything. (laughs) You don't have to do nothing. Right? Everything that we do is between us and God. Do I have to give? No. In fact, if you're not going to give cheerfully, don't. But if I'm saying I don't have to give, but then you look at Genesis 4, well, you were created to. So are you just saying to God, I don't care what you created me to do and to be. I don't care the fact that you gave me life and that you're offering me eternal life. I don't care about that. I'm not going to be a giver. Do I have to give? No, that's between you and God. But just consider that if Cain's offering was not accepted, Imagine what somebody not giving an offering at all would be in the sight of God who created us, gave us life, made us to work, but also created us to give. So why don't people give? I think there are three reasons people don't give. One, I think there's fear. I think there's fear that I don't have enough for me and my family, and so I don't give. I think there's fear that somebody's using the money unwisely that I want to give, and so I choose not to give at all. I think fear is a big part of that. I think lack of faith is a huge part as well. 
Again, a tenth is a big number for some people, depending on what you're earning. And even if you're earning not so much, a tenth is even bigger because every five or ten dollars counts. And so it takes a lot of faith to be a tither. I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't. And I'm not going to pretend and tell you that Lisa and I from the get-go in tithing, everything was rosy. No, there were some tough times financially. But it takes faith to say, all right, God said to test him and that he would provide for us. And he obviously has provided food for my stomach. And uh, I can't remember the last time involuntarily I slept in the rain anywhere. And I think that I've always been able to get to work either by my own two feet or a car underneath me. So God has provided and taken care of us. Maybe it's not always what I want, but he takes care of everything that I need. But it's a lack of faith, I think, sometimes. And the third one, I think, is probably the biggest, and that's just the lack of putting God first. The lack of putting God first. I think if we all took a look at our checkbook and we said, what are my priorities? What are your priorities? And we looked at each other's checkbook, so to speak, right? Bank account. Let's go that route, right? Uh, I think that we would see some messed up priorities. The world has told us every time there's a break at school, we have to spend $3,000 on a vacation, right? (laughs) The world has told us that LeBron James wears these sneakers, and so if your kid does, they're going to jump as high as LeBron James does, right? We've bought into all this stuff. I'm going to look better in those jeans than I do those jeans. I'm going to look better with this and that, and we've bought into that. And as we've bought into all those things, and our How many of you were raised in a house that's half the size you live in now and you had twice the number of people in it? You don't want to admit it. Yeah, right. (laughs) Right. But when we get married and we have kids, we're like, we need a bigger house, right? We need a bigger. Our eyes get so much bigger. Why do we do that? Because we lack the priorities of putting God first and making all of our decisions, even financial ones, spiritual decisions. And I think we lack the priorities that it takes to actually become a tither and someone who's going to give generously. So what happens to my giving? All right. You're going to find out in the annual meeting. So I'll just tell you right now what happens with your giving is we take about 10 to 12 percent. Our annual budget's about six hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's a round number about I think it's seventy five to eighty thousand dollars. I think it's seventy five thousand dollars. We give away to missions. Um, So we give to local, regional, national, and overseas missions, right? That's what we do with the first part of it. Um, Yes, we pay staff uh, salaries and benefits, and that's the the largest chunk percentage-wise, I'll tell you that. Um, And then from there, um, we take care of all the ministries that we do here. Uh, We take care of the building that we have. Um, We are debt-free, so nothing that you pay goes to paying interest to anybody or anything. We have church credit cards, but we pay them off every month um, just so that we can make it easier for doing those purchases. But we pay it off every month. And so we try to be as responsible as we can with the monies that are brought in so that we can be wise stewards. I don't set my salary, of course. The elders talk about all of that stuff and and what they uh, think should happen with all of those things. We try as best we can to be upfront, transparent. I don't count them. I have no idea what any of you give, and I don't want to know. That's between you and God, and I don't want to be the guy responsible for putting it in the computer. I don't want that between you and I. And so everything that we we do money wise is between uh, is us, our leadership, trying to be wise stewards of what God has blessed us with through you. All right. So real quickly, how do I become a giver? And I'm over my time here. Get ready, Daryl. All right. First, pray. All right. If you want to be a giver, if you want to be a tither, uh, it's going to take a lot of prayer, especially with your financial situation. I don't know what it is, but I'm guessing that. We're all living up to this point with our money, and to give a tenth means I have to cut back some things to live up to this point. And that's going to take some prayer. Secondly, praise God for his blessings. 
As you're praying, start making a list because sometimes that's important just to step back and say, how has God blessed me? Let me count my blessings, as the old song says. Let me step back. Do I have my health? Do I have the kids? Do I have our marriage? I mean, what are the things that God has blessed me with? It's important to remember that as we journey toward being a generous giver. Third, prioritize. We need to make a list. What are the things we can afford to do? What are the things we can't afford to do? Um, how do I break free from what the world says I need and don't need and just narrow it down to say, okay, between us and God, what should our budget really look like? What are the priorities that we have? And then finally, just print the check. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to print the check. Now, I've known of churches that have done a 90-day tithe challenge. And they've said, tithe for 90 days, and if you have not seen God's blessings, we'll give your money back. I don't want that accounting nightmare. So I am not, capital N-O-T, making that promise for you today, okay? But I would dare you to do that. I dare you to be a tither for 90 days and just see what God does. And journal about it. Write it down. And if it's nothing, if I don't ever see you again, I'll understand why. That you took a challenge from a preacher, it didn't work, and you're upset about it. Okay. But I'm telling you, I'm willing to bet that if you do that, if you take that challenge... You will see God work and do some amazing things. And if nothing else, he will change your heart when it comes to what it looks like to being someone who manages your, your money and finances God's way. Um, lastly, uh, Financial Peace University, um, if you're wondering how to handle money, if you're just having a hard time, your money is managing you instead of you managing your money. Um, Financial Peace University, I'm going to start that up March 10th. It'll be nine weeks. It'll be Sunday afternoons. Um, it costs 60 bucks per family. I got a great deal on stuff on Black Friday. Um, and so you can sign up um, in the lobby. You can sign up online um, if you'd like to be a part of that as well. All right, last thing is this. This is a picture of a dollar bill, I think. Maybe. There you go. Whew, I wasn't quick enough. Here's a dollar bill. Notice I didn't put up 100 because I'm a preacher, right? Um, <laughs> just kidding. A dollar bill. Uh, we call it paper money, but that's not really true, right? A dollar bill is made up of 25% cotton, 75% linen. You know what else? A dollar bill. Oh, do you know the average lifespan of a dollar bill is like 4.1 years? You can fold it back and forth because what if it's made of 4,000 times before it'll start to kind of rip on its own? Um, but what you may not have known, maybe you do, if you work in banking, that inside every part of our paper currency are woven thousands of red and blue threads in a dollar bill. Did you know that? And why do they do that? Counterfeiters, right? We don't want anybody counterfeit our money. I was told this might be too harsh to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. When it comes to our money and finances, let's not be accused of being counterfeit Christians. Let's make sure Jesus is woven in and out of our money so that whatever he's blessed us with, we are honoring him with it. Why? Because he gave us life and he sent his son to die for us. And he wants to be with us for all of eternity. And all the money's going away anyway when all is said and done. So why for the 72 point whatever years you have on this earth, would God not be woven in and out of every part of your life, including your money? Let's not talk about being Christians in every other way except our money. Let's not be counterfeit Christians. Let's be people that say, this is my whole life. I give it to you, Lord. You tell me what you want to do with it. I want to follow you. I want to journey with Jesus to be everything you've created me to be. Not make up my own rules as I go along. Let's be faithful. Let's be faithful to the God that created us, loves us, and wants to be with us for all of eternity. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your many blessings. And uh, to sit back and count them, we could be here all day. Because we know that when we analyze everything about our life, it's you that has given it to us, given it all to us. And Father, I know giving back, especially if someone is not used to it, didn't grow up that way, it can be a real challenge. It can be a, a hardship financially because of all the things we do with money. So Father, I'm praying that you would soften each of our hearts and stretch each of us in our heart to try to be better about managing what you've blessed us with through the course of this year. For some, maybe it is being more generous in giving. For some, maybe it's just managing it, period. And for some, maybe it's just recognizing that it comes from you. So, Father, lay it on our heart what we need to do to stretch when it comes to managing the things that you've blessed us with so that we can stand before you someday in honor and glory and just say, Lord, I did the best I could. May you be weaved in and out of our whole life even our money. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's sing.